0: Oh, oh, oh,
1: Welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. We are your retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And uh, this is the second of our uh, summer shows for the summer season 2013. If you were with us uh, for our last show, we were talking about ice creams and ways to stay cool, going to the pool... Playing with the you know the water wiggle and the sprinklers, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about summer on on this show. But Mike, uh, what have you been doing since our last show? What have you been up to? What, what's been going on?
2: Well, I, back in the fifth grade, they called this "How I Spent My Summer Vacation," and my case is how I've spent the last two Sundays. That being at my favorite home improvement big box major center kicking the tires so to speak on a new griller. Oh, okay. Interesting because buying grillers nowadays in the 21st century in the year 2013 AD is much like buying a car. There are all makes, sizes, prices, uh, features, and of course, those wonderful people who try to sell you on the one that you didn't walk into the door believing that you would ever Buy or could afford,
1: upselling in the barbecue business. Oh yeah, they're <laughs>
2: upselling all right. And I've been out to two different home improvement centers, and I've seen at least five different brands, and they've gone from two burner to four burner to uh, burn down the west coast of the United States, Ooh. two tank, four tank, no tank. I'm I'm in total disarray now mentally, and I just all I want to do is kick back and go into my galaxy mode and think back to a kinder, gentler time when the world revolved around either a Weber tub, pressed steel barbecue with a sack of charcoal briquettes, or a 55-gallon oil drum that was cut in half and hollowed out and made into a griller. Sure,
1: a homemade grill.
2: Homemade. There wasn't a big selection in the late 50s, early 60s, but one thing they had in common... They were low on features. Mm-hmm. And you, you had a grill, a tub, you threw the briquettes in there, you had a can of charcoal lighter, and we'll talk a little later about when you ran out of the charcoal lighter, the safe stuff, what you could do that you shouldn't do. And you throw a match on and you, in my case, my dad would have the steaks or the burgers, and many times they were tasty and juicy, and sometimes they didn't end up so well.
1: They were a little on the cremated side, huh? Just a little bit.
2: <laughs> but you know, you go back to a time when, you well, know, in suburban America, in this case, where a lot of the activities during summer vacation, as far as families, this is a time when the families usually ate dinner at the same time. Right. And they basically had the same meal, and they sat around a table and talked and had one meal. And when it's 108 degrees and smoggy and you're trying to stay cool, usually that evening meal would take place in the backyard. Yeah. You had a picnic table or you had a nice round table and, and some chairs. Dad had the barbecue going, had burgers, hot dogs, pork chops sometimes, sure. and we'd serve them and, and and this is not a spoof on one of these retro suburban movies. This actually happened. You had decorations. You had a tabletop, a table cover. And the benches had covers on them, and it was very nice. It was like setting the kitchen table, but you would sit around, and you would have the the little uh, the lamp that my mom would light to keep the mosquitoes and the flies mm-hmm. off the food, and mm-hmm. you'd have little doily covers. They look like little miniature umbrellas that you would put over the beans.
1: Yeah, exactly right, yeah.
2: So the... Uh, Kamikaze blowflies wouldn't I oh,
1: yeah.
2: think it was December seventh and attacked the pork and beans. That's right. And everything was covered. And everybody sat down and when we were ready to eat the covers came off and we would have our dinner out in the backyard. The social connection, the social center of the neighborhood, and of course families was the backyard. And that's when a lot of the homes had backyards. Now they're they're almost like parkways on sidewalks. Oh, but sure. most homes had the backyard and some in our case, my dad Got a concrete slab, and we had a patio with a cover, which was nice. And the backyard was the place. It was safe. You could listen to the radio. We played badminton and put the net up across there or maybe croquet. When's the last time you played croquet, Smitty?
1: Well, I can't even remember, Mike, when the last time was that I attempted it. I'm not a very good sportsman, so I would have... Not played it, but I would have attempted to have played it <laughs> many years ago, many many years ago.
2: For our younger listeners, we had a, <laughs> Andrew Baldwin here a few a few shows ago, yeah. and I, I even think some of this stuff would blow him away if we talked about people who spent Saturdays in their backyard and really didn't leave.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember Mike when I was uh, a kid, and we and we were a tiny family. I was an only child. It was just my mom and dad and I, but. Being outside and and just the idea of having dinner outside was special. It was special. It was something different. You knew that maybe inside the house it was hot, but outside it was a little cooler. We had a patio, too, and Dad would fire off the the barbecue, and Mom would either get steaks or hamburgers or something ready, and we would eat outside. And and I remember when I was a little kid thinking how special that was. Wow, this is neat. This is different. It's different. It was something unique. Well, it was almost an adventure because
2: it was summer vacation, and it was hot. Nobody wanted to go inside. In fact, I know a lot of families in our neighborhood that actually slept on the front porch or the back porch. Oh, there sure. were porches, and they would go out there with their cots or sleeping bags sure. and stay outside to keep cool. Sure. But I think that one of the romantic, the exciting parts of of the backyard was the fact it was summer vacation, you were free and easy, and the best part, you could stay up just as late as you wanted You could stay up as late as your little eyes could stay open, and you you count stars.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, we were, I think uh, on our last show, we were talking about the fact that one of the neat things about vacation when you were a kid, there was no hurry, no no rush. There was no rush. You didn't have to go to bed early because Mm -hmm. you had school tomorrow. You didn't have to get up early. You could take your time. And part of that... Uh, I, I remember now when I was uh, a kid, was being outside at a at a much later hour than you normally would have, and maybe a friend would come over, and you'd be out there watching stars, or you'd be out there just sitting around, maybe with the the transistor radio going, and it was you could see the stars, maybe the moon was out, just kind of a balmy evening, and yeah. and just really what pleasant memories that brings back.
2: And you'd have maybe and my my dad would. Uh, He'd pump up the Coleman lantern, the kerosene sure. lantern. We'd have light out there, and you'd watch the gnats and the night flies hit the light. And, yeah. and life was good. Sit out and You'd sit out in the chair and then catch a breeze coming in, and people didn't go anywhere. Actually, people dropped by. Yeah. Neighbors would come in. You'd hear the gate open, and it would be a couple the couple from across the street come by. Right. She'd have a, a pitcher of iced tea, and she didn't call ahead, and they weren't invited. You didn't have to be. People just... They just showed up and stayed for an hour or two and took off, and yeah. most of the adults smoked cigarettes,
1: Right, so there was
2: ashtrays everywhere.
1: Yeah, ashtrays were everywhere, yeah. and there was just a, the constant uh, plumes of, of cigarette smoke.
2: <laughs> yeah, <every, you> know, <laughs> 50,000 suburban <laughs> homes in L.A., all with their own little mushroom cloud.
0: That's right, yeah.
2: But those days of the barbecue, you'd throw the barbecue on right about 7 when it would cool down, the barbecue sure. would get going, and ooh, there were... A lot of barbecue, so-called experts. You didn't have controls, much like they have now at these stores. I'm not sure I would understand how to use them anyway. There were no knobs or anything. You had a grill, a pressed steel tub. You had the charcoal. You had a can of kerosene, charcoal lighter. And there were people known to have run out of kerosene and rather take off and go down to Safeway Market. They Kerosene, hmm. You know, I've got that can of gas for the mm-hmm. lawnmower.
1: mm mm-hmm. uh,
2: have you ever had your eyebrows burnt off?
1: No, fortunately, I have not, Mike. But uh, I've got a feeling maybe you experienced that. Very
2: um, interesting. Spending the rest of your summer vacation look, looking like the little banjo player in the movie Deliverance. <laughs> but I had that happen. Oh, uh, you know, don't get a kid who likes to tear apart vacuum cleaners and take chemistry sets and see what happens when you throw each and every component into one beaker don't turn him loose with a can of gasoline when the fire goes out and Dad's not home from work and it was your job to start the barbecue Mm -hmm. fire. Mm -hmm. may not end well. I think they they probably found the lid of the barbecue somewhere over in Glendale. I'm not sure. Uh Uh-oh. Wow. But those experiences, too, because, you know, you have an experience where... You remember things, both the good and the bad, but right. they were such happy times anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: the, they were carefree times.
2: The badminton games, just sitting out in the folding lawn chairs, the grandparents coming over, and really nobody had a big agenda. I'm sure they talked about politics, but most of the time uh, they were talking about their kids or talking about cars. And now, you know, you get a barbecue or a grilling event going now, it's a major event. Uh, you got 20, 30 people, you got the guy on this big monstrosity. Griller that you just paid four hundred dollars for. It looks like one of those little Fiats they're selling. Now. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. you yeah, you actually have. To, and this kills me to say this, listeners, and it's tearing me apart to tell you, I bought one and I got it home, and I will surrender and I will confess that I actually had to read the manual.
1: Oh, Mike.
2: Yes. Oh, and my wife thanks me for reading the manual for the first time in thirty-seven years because she claims it saved us over thirty dollars in T-bone steaks. Oh, okay. But it's like operating a piece of farm machinery with the knobs and the buttons and the strikers and the heaters and the warmers, and when to put the hood down, when to take the hood up. Here's the thermometer gauge. Here, what the thermometer is trying to tell you.
1: You know, Mike, for as uh, fancy and as uh, useful as the modern barbecues are, they do resemble, to me when I see them, they resemble uh, an outdoor range. It's like a stove, like a range. And I remember when we, when I was a kid, we had very simple little barbecues. The first one that we ever had was kind of a round one that was made out of a clay material. Clay. Almost, I would even venture, probably from the 40s or 50s. My dad had it stored away, dug it out one summer, and said, we're going to barbecue. And I was amazed that we were going to actually cook food outside. Cook food. And it just had the... Uh, the briquettes, and you, my dad would soak the briquettes in the lighter fluid and uh, let them burn until they got the the white. Uh the white edges on them, and then later on we had a little um, uh, hibachi. Later on, which my dad got from somewhere, kind of a cast iron one. Again, very all manually operated. There was no gas. There was no nothing automated. You you uh, put the briquettes in there. You soaked them with lighter fluid. You move them around with a with a big uh, metal prong thing to distribute the uh, briquettes. I think probably at that age, the the simplicity of it was fascinating. Yeah. The simplicity of just we're going to cook food over these glowing coals. It was just fun,
2: and, and even setting the table outside was a true art form. For it was me an on. art
1: form, yeah, it was. You know, and it was it, it was something simple that uh, that we um, <laughs> that we did, and we just and I thought it was just fantastic. I thought it was just really, really. Again, like I said earlier, it, it was unique. We weren't having unique. dinner inside; we were going to eat outside, yeah. and Ooh. it was safe. And it was safe. Yeah.
2: And there was a time when you got in off the front, off the sidewalks, and came to the backyard, and it was dinner time, and that's where you spent the evening. Maybe you went a couple doors up to a buddy's house, but you didn't stray too far. And it it was an interesting time because in America, the backyard, that was the spot. Summertime, wintertime, fall, it was the kitchen. But the backyard kitchen was the place to be when I grew up anyway.
1: It was, Mike. It was uh, a different world, and uh, again, I think... uh I think what I remember is just the simplicity of it. It was just a very simple time.
2: Well, are we going to talk about a retro Because you know what, I'm getting ready to go out to your hibachi, Smitty, and I'm going to roast some marshmallows.
1: You are okay, Mike. The well, campfire type. The can. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, and where's you-
2: that can of gas that you used? Never mind.
1: Uh, no, I don't think that's empty now, Mike. <clears throat> I used it the last time that we uh, that we lit off the uh, hibachi, which is now. Somewhere down in Chula Vista. But anyway, <laughs> we're, we're, we are going to pause for a retro commercial, and then we are going to come back with a special preview for all you folks, all you good listeners of uh, Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. so you don't want to miss that. We have something kind of fun to share with you, so don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. For man pleasure, this is the one. Get pleasure, false man the most refreshing beer a thirsty man can pour Yet light enough to leave room for more Man-sized pleasure Every premium quality Ballstaff you pour Ballstaff always takes extra care To make the finest beer possible Even to cascading every brew Over the Falstaff chilling tower Instantly icing down each brew To protect that famous premium quality taste Every step of the way Until it's safely capped in and you're ready to enjoy it, satisfying to your man-sized thirst, light enough to leave room for more. For man-sized pleasure, this is the one premium quality Falstaff Beer. Ooh, Falstaff Beer going down the uh, Falstaff Chilling Tower. Somehow Mm. that sounds very refreshing. Well, welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty, along with my good buddy, Mike B. And we're very pleased here at Galaxy Nostalgia Network to introduce a new program that we have coming out very, very shortly. And my good buddy, Mike B., is the producer and the co-host of the show. It's called Suds and Grub. And we have a preview of that show for you today. Mike, what is this show about? And tell us a little bit about who your co-host is.
2: You know... When I lived in L.A. in the 70s, and I made friends with a guy by the name of Gary Vineyard. And Gary Vineyard and I, uh, we were pretty good buddies on the job, and we went our own ways. And a number of years passed, and fast forward to 1987. I moved from Los Angeles to this little suburb of San Diego called Poway. And I needed to get the muffler on my car fixed, so I pulled it in to this shop and I had no idea, I had no idea where anything was, pull into this shop and there's Gary Vineyard standing there. He he moved too, unbeknownst to me, and we redeveloped our friendship and it turned out Gary became a very nationally known, very renowned barbecue chef, chili cook-off expert, sauce chef, marinade expert, and everything else you can possibly think. He, he makes probably, he creates one of the best Louisiana sausages you will ever attempt to try and eat in your life, and Gary and I were talking because uh, we call him Vinny, Vineyard, Vinny, I don't know how they come up with that, but Vinny and I were talking, and he's totally enthused about our show here, and he's a nostalgia guy, he's a galaxy good guy as well, and we thought about an idea of just a good old-time food and brew show, talking about the good life, you know, sitting on a patio, putting the burgers on, having a couple of bottles of suds and together we created suds and grub radio show and we're about the average recipe this is not a show for wine snobs it's a show for folks who just would like to make maybe a better salad dressing or throw a nice salad together or make the perfect hamburger you know it's not a beer drinker show it's a craft beer show so we we actually profile all the craft breweries in San Diego and let let me add part of this show originating was a result of the San Diego microbrewery scene now surpassing Portland Oregon as the microbrew capital of the United States. So off we go to Suds and Grub, and Smitty and I got together and thought this would be just a perfect fit in addition to the Galaxy Nostalgia Network family so we're going to give you a little teaser here let you see Vinny at work, or rather let you hear Vinny at work.
1: Okay, here's a preview of Suds and Grub with Vinny and with Mike B.
2: Vinny, you know, you talk about food in a way that makes one very hungry very suddenly. And when you blend that subject with it, with the subject of a county fair and all the good eats that go with it, you know where I'm going with this, the deep fried stuff. County fairs have a knack for serving up the kind of food not only is probably the most unhealthiest food for you, but the hardest to find. But you've got some secrets to share. A lot of these delicacies can be created at home. Let's start with the deep-fried stuff. Deep-fried dill pickles, uh, deep-fried, what, Oreos,
0: deep-fried uh, turkey legs, uh, the pickles. bacon everywhere. In the South, people tend to deep-fry more than we do here in the West or in the North. And they... They deep fry everything. They, they'll they deep fry everything on the pig, including the oink. Uh, they've been doing it for years. Uh, and they, they being the health aficionados, tell us how unhealthy it is, but it seems that those people live as long as we do, so I'm not so sure that that's accurate. And in my experience, um, if you deep fry correctly, the amount of oil that's absorbed into your food product, whatever it is you're deep frying, is minimal. I have to tell you a story. There's an old boy from Georgia that I know, and he... Uh, he Claims his fried chicken, his man, his fried chicken is the best fried chicken you ever had in your mouth. The best thing you ever put in your mouth. And I said, well, okay, you'll have to show me how you do that sometime. And he said, well, first what you do is you get your chicken and you washes it off. And he said, then you put some, you put it in some flour and some salt and some pepper, and then you put it in the oil and let it set. And I said, well, you mean, of course, that you put it in the three hundred and fifty to three hundred seventy five preheated oil, and then you begin the cooking process. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, you let's just sit there and soak up some of that oil. I didn't believe him, but it turned out to be true. And I went into a kitchen. He was cooking for one of the local veterans organizations, and I saw this uh, these pieces of chicken coated with flour sitting in room temperature oil for hours. Now, you can imagine whatever is percolating in there It was just amazing, and I, 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 couldn't, I actually couldn't believe it. Well, anyway, he fires it up. He brings it up to temperature slowly. Of course, the chicken, the, the, the flour, everything else is absorbing all this oil. And he continues to bring the temperature up to about 425 degrees, which is about 50 or 75 degrees too hot, which was probably good because it killed anything that might have been in the chicken to begin with, and it made it inedible, except if you're from Georgia. And you talk like this, and that was his mama's best fried chicken ever. So so deep frying normally is, uh, it doesn't assimilate a accumulate I should say a lot of a lot of oil and for some reason frying uh, it, it's fat you're cooking something in fat so it gets a lot of flavor whether it's a pickle a zucchini an Oreo cookie a Twinkie or whatever so and in the south they've been doing when I when I barbecue down there I, I learned about deep-fried pickles sweet and dill and it's marvelous because I've cooked those for years now as a caterer. And it's, it's really funny to watch people when you when you quarter one up and they think they're getting a piece of zucchini and they bite into it instead of zucchini, you know, kind of that bland zucchini like that you're familiar with. They get a, a dill pickle and, and their, their brain and their mouth don't communicate because the brain is thinking zucchini and the mouth is saying dill pickle and it's really fun to watch their expressions.
2: Well, we have a number of the booths that are doing the deep-fried, everything from deep-fried bacon inside of a glazed donut right on up to deep-fried peanuts and deep-fried bakery goods and deep-fried ham sandwiches and everything else you could possibly think of deep-frying. What are they doing back there? Do they have a special piece of equipment? Is there something that we could do at home to almost mimic that Wonderful! I can't describe the taste, especially when it involves powdered sugar. Absolutely. After the process, how is it done?
0: How are they doing this? The only the only thing that we have that they have that you don't have at home is is a a higher uh, powered deep fryer. So, let's say you want to experiment with uh, let's let's start off with a Twinkie because that was well can't get Twinkies anymore. So much for that. Well, let's do either a cupcake or a Snickers bar. Um, it's really pretty simple. Take some oil, get a, get a, a, a big pot where you can get uh, maybe three inches of oil in it. You want to heat it up. You want to stick a candy thermometer in it. And you want to get it 350 degrees. Okay, now the, the thing they have is they have a temperature control. The pros do. But so you want to keep it right at 350. Don't let it get over 375. So you got it around 350. Then take whatever you're going to deep fry. Now let's, let's do a Snickers bar. Take... And go to the store and get some regular batter, get some beer batter mix, whatever you like, whatever kind of batter you get, make it thick. So you're going to take beer, you're going to take water, you're going to take whatever you want to take. You make a real thick mixture on there. Then you take your your Snickers bar, you put a popsicle stick into it, you dip it in this batter, and you immediately immerse it in the oil. That's at 350 degrees. Now you'd think, of course, that the Snickers bar is going to melt right away and, and things are going to happen, but it doesn't. It only takes a few seconds for this to start cooking because you're just cooking the batter on the top. So you want to roll it over until so it gets browned, uh, lightly browned on both sides. It should take a, a minute, sixty seconds or so. Pop it out, let it drain. Now you are gonna that Snickers bar is gonna melt some. So you want to watch out because it's gonna be hot. So when you when you get into it, not only is the coating hot, but the Snickers bar is hot. But they're marvelous, and this actually came these these candy bars actually came over from the U.K., from the United Kingdom. They've been doing this uh, over in Ireland and Scotland for decades. And if I remember right, I believe their favorite um, candy was a Mars bar. So this has been going on for a long time. So anything you want to deep fry, almost anything you want to deep fry, you can do with that procedure. Take your batter, make up your batter, um, take whatever you're going to do, coat it in the batter, drop it in the... uh, in the hot oil, and uh, wait for it to get golden brown. Wait, for, and if you're not doing, uh, if you're doing like a vegetable, like a pickle or a zucchini or a uh, um, radish or anything like that, wait till it floats, because when it floats, it's normally almost done.
2: And then you. Take it out of you. Take it out of the fryer, right. then you put the other goodies on. And mm-hmm. in my case, the powdered sugar.
0: Absolutely. If you are if the
2: sprinkles or whatever.
0: I'll give you. Let's let's give our listeners a treat too. If you want to make a homemade donuts the easy way, um, or a beignet. A beignet is an, is a uh, um, a fried treat from Louisiana, and it comes from New Orleans. It started out there. It's a French thing. Uh, but go get a, a tube of those. You know those popping things. Those those pop and rolls biscuits you know what i'm talking oh, about
2: the pop poppin' dinner yeah, biscuits yeah. like the pillsbury you un- yeah. unwind the container and out they come
0: slam it on the thing yeah. slam it on the side and they pop open take those biscuits and work them down squish them a little bit with your hands so they get a little bit flatter you can also use a rolling pin and then take and and with your fingers make a hole in the middle of them then throw them in the same oil 350 degree oil same oil throw them in there and uh, flip them over back and forth every uh, 10 seconds or so, you'll see them start to get golden brown. When they get golden brown and they puff up, and you'll see this because they'll puff up, take them out, put them on a paper towel, let them drain a little bit, put your powdered sugar on them, and you got a powdered sugar donut. And these are these are called beignets? Well, the beignets, it's same principle. Beignet typically doesn't have a hole in it, but it's the same thing. You know, a donut's got a hole in it, and the beignet doesn't. But you, a beignet typically is made from a yeast Dough, and it's a little bit uh, lighter, but it's a, it's the same procedure. And but you can make your make your own donuts now, and and they're just marvelous.
2: Basically, go to your favorite big box or department store and get a fryer. Mm-hmm. Like when you and I grew up in Southern California in the fifties and sixties, it was French fries and shrimp. Sure, sure. But the same principle with the basket and the oil, mm-hmm. sizzling oil. You can just about experiment and try your hand at deep frying just about anything you can think of. Anything you can think of. That's pretty cool.
0: And we've done it.
2: Well, Vinny, thanks a lot for, for yet another great <laughs> recipe and all your philosophical insight on the world of barbecuing. Vinny's actual name is Gary Vineyard. And you will, re, you will know that if you have hung around in barbecue circles or chili contests, because this guy here on the other side of the, of the studio desk here is actually an award-winning barbecuer, chili maker, What else do you do?
0: Salsa King. Salsa King. And I kind of wish I wouldn't have told them my name because I I was in the witness protection program. So, so much for that.
2: uh. Oh, that's right. Uh, Well, okay. Moving along. The show is called Suds and Grub Radio. Suds and Grub Show. And we are here on San Diego. You can catch us on Apple iTunes. But We talk about everything that has to do with cooking and mostly adult beverages. We talk about soda pop and homemade root beer sometime. But we just have a blast doing this show, and we've been really honored to uh, jump in on Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight's uh, show here.
1: Very good. Well, that was a preview of the new Suds and Grub show, another galaxy nostalgia network production and mike that sounds really like it's going to be a fun show you got you and vinnie were mostly talking about fried foods and stuff like that but you guys are going to cover all kinds of topics
2: yeah and he's got you know fitting in with our galaxy nostalgia theme here in our family he's got a book that he's putting together on all of the recipes that he's bumped into in 40 45 years of growing up in southern california
1: Wow, that's great, Michael. We're going to certainly look forward to that. You folks that subscribe to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight will have the opportunity to subscribe to Suds and Grub when it uh, is released officially. And in addition to that, we'll also be seeking uh, terrestrial radio stations to put that show on, much as we're still looking for terrestrial radio stations for Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. So we certainly hope that you'll consider... Suds and grub as one of your other choices to listen to. But that is going to bring us to the end of our show. We want to remind you that if you have any Questions, suggestions, ideas, or anything you'd like to share with us, send us an email at galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com, galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightsight.com. And don't forget our Facebook page, the Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight page on Facebook. That's all the time we have for today. Until next time, I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to having you with us again next time. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.